Actually, I'm sorry to do this, but I'm going to ask you to stand up again for a reading from the Holy Bible. How can you say no to that? I'm going to read this morning from Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 18. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you were led by the Spirit, you were not under the law. Bow your head with me, please. Father, this is your word. We love your word. We love hearing your word. We love to follow your word. And Lord, you know, at times we struggle in following your word. Father, my prayer this morning is that as we hear your word, we will be encouraged to listen and to live by what we hear. My prayer, Father, is that your word this morning falls on listening ears and on hearts that are open to do your will each and every day of our life. Father, guide us by your Holy Spirit and guard us by the power of your spirit. I pray this today in Jesus name. Amen. Please be seated. There's a really cool movie, and I had a really cool movie clip to illustrate this morning's lesson. And then the more I watched it, the more I thought to myself, I'm not going to play that clip. It's from the movie Braveheart. And at the end of the movie, William Wallace has been captured by the enemy. And he's put on a plank, and they're getting ready to take his body apart limb from limb. It's a powerful message, but as I watched it and I watched the torture that was played into, not demonstrated, but as you knew what was happening, it really began to challenge my heart and hurt my heart. But as he's laying on that on that bed or on that limb that they're getting ready to torture him, there's a judge that presides over the top and over the execution of this man. And he keeps telling this man, all you need to do is ask for mercy. All you need to do is tap out and say, you know what? Your cause is right and mine is wrong. But William Wallace in this movie was fighting for something greater than their purpose. He was fighting for freedom. In this film, William Wallace leads a band of people who are battling and fighting for their freedom. And as the as the director of of like any awesome movie, he builds up the moment and Wallace with a broken body and a tortured body. He he mutters something out of his lips that you can't understand. And they draw in closer. and, And the judge says, what did you say? And Wallace, with the ounce of energy and breath he has left, says freedom. Freedom. 
And that's so demonstrated. I hope I portrayed it to a point without showing you because it really hurt my heart to see the torture. Right now is not a time that I like in my life to see someone um, exude their their uh, their power over someone. It just doesn't. It's not good for me right now. So I pulled away from that. But I hope I've illustrated that to teach you this lesson this morning, church. And that's that freedom is not free. Our freedom is not free. It wasn't free. It was bought at a price. We had some framers back in 1776 that sat in a room and they'd broken away. They were British men, but they were found themselves in a new land. And they were working together to draft a document that proclaimed their freedom. And on July 4th, these men signed that document that we now know as our Declaration of Independence. But it wasn't free to them. Those men and the people that followed those men and those people that those men led into battle paid with their blood and their lives in many cases for that freedom. And tomorrow we're all going to get together and we're going to have some awesome barbecues. I got some of these, you know, Jeanette's bought these hamburgers that are like this big around and bratwurst this long. And we're going to grill these out and celebrate with our friends and family our Independence Day. Our freedom. And what I want to challenge us all to do this morning, what I hope we can do this morning is tie that freedom into that we celebrate as Americans into the freedom that was spiritually purchased for us by Jesus Christ on the cross. When you get ready to take a a bite out of that big old slab of barbecued ribs or you get ready to throw that down that big old spoonful of baked beans. I'm asking you to step back from all of that for just a moment. And prayerfully consider what got us here. Who got us here. Because we celebrate freedom that was on the back, that was purchased on the back of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. George Washington said this in a letter to Benedict Arnold. While we are contending for our own liberty, we should be very cautious not to violate the conscience of others, ever considering that God alone is the judge of the hearts of men. And to him only in this case are they answerable. You know, the idea that Washington puts out there here is that keep in mind that your ideal ideology ideology and your way of thinking isn't the only way. And your idea of what men should be drawn through may not necessarily be for them. And so he says, be careful, be careful in what you say and what we do as we pursue this freedom. This morning, church, there are four freedoms that I think we enjoy as Christians and that we should enjoy as Christians. But there are also freedoms that I think we need to be very careful with. And careful of that those freedoms are enjoyed in the context that God wants them to be enjoyed. Keep in mind what Galatians 5 said. We've been set free not to indulge in our own, what our own mind wants, in our own indulgences, but to use those freedoms to pursue a better kingdom for God. God set us free to be his and to serve him. And to serve him in his way. So I want to talk about these four freedoms 
this morning. Here, Christians is number one is and I promise you these aren't all inclusive, but you could certainly wrap Christianity around all of these in some way, shape or form. You are free to encourage others. That's a freedom that you can celebrate all day long. You are free as God's people to encourage others, to encourage each other and to encourage the world around you. This often is done in our freedom of speech. That's tied to our country and our freedoms as Americans. This freedom of speech can be utilized a lot of different ways. Amen. You can either build somebody up or you can tear somebody down. All right. Amen. Somebody's listening. You just keep going. Say that as much as you want because it feeds my fire. As Christians, we need to be careful in exercising our freedom of speech. Because just as quick as we can build someone up and encourage them, we can tear them down and discourage them just as quickly as we can admonish someone and say, hey, I want you to think about this a different way. We can fire them up to the point that they will not back off from their cause. James three, nine and ten says this. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and father and with it. We curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be, James says. You know, God gave us the gift of communication. Isn't that a wonderful gift? Um, I know now, husbands, be careful when you answer this. But isn't it wonderful, husbands and wives, that we can communicate with each other? Okay, except for long drives. It's a wonderful gift to be able to communicate with each other. What would life be if you couldn't talk to the people next to you? It'd be horrible. But at the same time, we know that people abuse that freedom. We know that people use words to tear down instead of to build up. And as Christians, we need to be careful. And so I want to give you just a few ways. If you're a writer and an outliner here, here's some ways that I want you to think about. First of all, do we pray before we speak? Do we pray before we speak? Because I have a feeling that if we spent some time talking to God before we went and tackled so many issues that we tackle, we might we might verbalize ourselves in a different way. We might use different words to express ourselves. It may slow us down. It may make us think differently before we talk to someone. If we spend a little time with God and help him or ask for him to help us manufacture our words. I know it would be for me, and especially in the context of, of, of talking with others at the last moment, if I would just take some time and say, you know what, I'm going to pray about that. You know, when there's a problem here at church, or there's a problem in your home, there's a problem at work, it's a valuable, it's a valuable practice to say, you know what, I'm not going to answer that right now. I'm going to step back from that, and I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to pray about it and then pray about it. Don't just say you're going to pray about it. That's not so you can buy time. It's so that you can seek God's wisdom and God's guidance and his spirit. I can't tell you how many times, man, I've picked up my phone and I'm on Facebook 
or I'm on I'm on, you know, and I see something and I see something crazy happening. And I think, oh, man, I got it. Boom, 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 boom. And then I hit a race. Because the minute you send it, you own it. And I'm going to tell you guys something, some 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 of what you send, not only do you own it, we own it. Christianity owns it. And sometimes as Christians, we need to be more prayerful before we just go start pushing buttons. The second thing is, is that we need to study before we speak. You know, sometimes we, we go away and we do that. We do the, the, the practice of praying. But then at the same time, are you spending time in God's word so that he can speak to you through his word? So that you can contact that person or you can sit down with that person and say, you know, I was spending time with God last night and he gave me an answer to this that I want to share. And then it's not just my answer, but it's his answer. I was working with a lady this week out on the road. I'm 400 miles away from home. And this lady calls me with with church, the worst problem that a woman can possibly have. I mean, it was horrible. It was terrible. It was a terrible situation. And I'm driving down the road at, at 70 miles an hour because that was the speed limit. Um, I'm driving down the road at 70 miles an hour. I wasn't going 80, I promise. And I'm sitting here and I'm listening to her. And she, it, she's just wailing and totally out of control. And I said, stop for just a minute. I want you to take three deep breaths. I said, I'm going to pray for you. I'm just going to pray. I know it's weird. We're on the phone. But I'm going to pray for you. I said, God, I think God right now just needs to speak to you and he needs to speak to you calmly. So I'm going to pray for you. And we prayed over the phone. I spoke to her about seven times throughout that day because of kind of coaching her through a situation. And from that point forward, she she really stabilized. She was able to think God brought her peace and the situation got much better. And it wasn't a Tony thing. It was a God thing. Because I couldn't do anything other than not wreck. Do we study? Do we pray before we speak? Here's number three. Do we make consideration before we speak? Do you consider how what you're about to say to someone is going to affect them or affect the situation, affect the greater body? Answer of hands. Have you ever been that Christian? That you're living out life and you're kind of dry, you're watching the news or whatever. Or maybe you're in a big group of people and all of a sudden the news comes on and you see something that that some other faith based organization did that was just dumb. OK, you know, that's the people, you know, holding the signs along the road or and it's something that as a Christian, you are a bit embarrassed about and you really pray in that moment that you don't have to defend that. How many of you? Anybody ever been there? Okay, one or two. You guys beat the beat the morning group. Yeah, there's several of us that have been there. I was 19 years old. I was studying the Bible with my mentor in Indiana, trying to figure out whether I was going to be a Christian, whether I was going to follow God or not. But I was I was about two months away from my baptism. And a friend of mine that I worked with in the tool shop, his child was born and put in the hospital and diagnosed with CF, cystic fibrosis. And I'll never forget, I was with him. I, I really didn't know what to do other than just to be there and support him and say, hey, dude, it's going to be OK. And that's what I did every night. I would go see him, dude, it's going to be OK. 
dude. Because that's all I knew. I wasn't a Christian yet. And I'll never forget, the doctor comes in and gives him and his wife the news. And they had a pastor, and I don't know where he was from, but he was standing there. And he looked at this man and the baby's mother, and he said this. This is your punishment for the sin of conception out of wedlock. And you know what? I was trying to reconcile right in that moment. Do I really want to be a Christian? Sometimes, church, sometimes, brothers and sisters, we need to consider what we're saying before we say it. Because it hurts everything, and especially it hurts God's process. My, 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 the guy who was working with me at the time took me aside, and it was a teaching moment. He taught me how God viewed in the innocence of a child, and he taught me the way Jesus taught from the Scriptures from Matthew 18, 1 through 10, and Mark 16, 1 through 10. And he taught me through it. But I'll never forget what that man who professed Jesus said to that couple. You know, we need to think about what we say before we say it. Number two is we're free to love. Watch this, church. We're free to love like Jesus. That's the most awesome freedom ever. We are free to love as much as we want to love. We're free to set hate aside. We're free to set harsh words aside. And and when we err, we're free to err in love. What a freedom to celebrate. You know, we consider our freedom from God. We cannot exercise without love in any capacity. And what I mean by that is this. By the gift of the Holy Spirit, we have the capacity to love like Jesus loved. That's our capacity. Now, here's the question that we have to answer. Is that what we are embracing? Is that what we're practicing? That's our capacity. Is that what we're practicing? We must always give careful consideration In moments of trial to how we are going to love our way through that. Any trial, trial with our children, trial with our neighbors, trials with our brothers and sisters in Christ, trials with you fill in the blank. Our consideration has to be to go to Jesus and say, Jesus, how are we going to love our way through this? So much love. I feel like I ought to have like a tie dye shirt and a bandana on up here. We. We need to love. Sometimes love's not pretty. But we need to love. You know, God wants you to remember to be like his son as much as humanly possible. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 17 through 18. It'll be up here on the board. And look at that key word, freedom. Now, the Lord is the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is spirit. God's desire is for us to be like him when we're dealing with the world. He wants us to be in his image. You know, in Galatians 3, we learn that, that, that we are free 
so that we can serve him. If we back up and and look at the at the scriptures, the different scriptures that we've shared this morning, we need to keep in mind that it's not our job to to damage or to hurt those who are made in God's image. Now, who's made in God's image? Everybody. It's not your job to hurt. It's not your job to tear down. It's your job to love. And you let God convict those who need convicted. Because when someone who is in error begins to learn about Jesus and truly follow Jesus, they will become convicted on their own. Most of the time, church, they don't need your help. First Corinthians, Paul is speaking of sexual immorality to a really messed up church. Probably the most messed up church in the New Testament, one could argue. And so he's speaking on the topic of sexual immorality on top of a bunch of other stuff. And he says this in a key scripture in First Corinthians. He says, all things are permissible, but not all things are edifying. And brothers and sisters, it would do us good to listen to this premise of Paul as he teaches, because you have the freedom in Jesus that it's permissible for you to do what you want to do. But you need to ask yourself whether or not what you're doing is edifying. Is it edifying? Is it helping the kingdom to be a better place? Is it helping our community to be a better place? Is it helping our church to be stronger at building the kingdom? Or is some of the positions we take and some of the things we do, and does it tear down that process? Oh, you're allowed to do those things. It's permissible for you to do it. But is it edifying? Is it what God really would want us to do? We are a church that has given and served and worked. And for the most part, we do a wonderful job of this. But I want us to stay on track. And that everything we go to do, we step back from it and say, okay, yeah, we're permitted to do this. The church can do this. But is it edifying? Is this an action that's going to make us stronger at reaching the lost? Is it an action that's going to help us as a church disciple our own people to help them grow and for them to be encouraged and for them to invite their neighbors and their friends and be excited about what God's doing in their life. The one undeniable freedom God gives us is the love. And we have to be careful that when we err, whether in speech, whether in deed, whether in thought, when we err, that we err on the side of love. You know, I'm sure some of you had the most terrible 20 minutes of your life several times. And what I mean by that is that's the 20 minutes where Mom or dad tell you to go to your room and wait on them. Anybody ever, you know, bore witness to that 20 minutes? Go to your room and I'll be in there in 20 minutes. And I used to think, you know what? This is this is his way or her way of torturing me. Because I sat there and thought about everything I did and what I said, and I just felt terrible. But, you know, as a dad, I figured out it's not. That 20 minutes is so he won't kill you. That 20 minutes was for him to go out into the garage and take a deep breath and pray to God. 
Well, I don't know if my dad prayed to God, but it was definitely for him to collect himself. I do a little praying. If that's not that 20 minutes is for you to step out of the out of the room and go to God in prayer, study, think about how did God want me to handle this situation? How does God want me to give answer to this? We must, must, must plan in a way that if we err, we err in love. Third freedom is this. And I'm going to hurry here. I got two minutes, three minutes, but I'm going to take five. You're free to love, not to fight. You are free to love, not to fight. My middle son, we could have named him Moses, which I saw Moses at church camp this week. That's a really cool name, isn't it? Like savior of the world. You know, that's a cool name. And you pick names for your children. I think, you know, I could probably could add Isaac or something like that. But I have a Dalton. He's named after a bouncer in a movie. That was Jeanette's doing, not mine. I named Dalton after the character in the movie Roadhouse. And it wasn't because of Patrick Swayze and his biceps or anything like that. I'm not weird. That may have been Jeanette's purpose. My purpose was because he had a, a mantra to be lived by. And that was whatever happens, whatever you do, be nice. And I remembered that message because I thought that was a really cool character in my life. Because there was a time in my life I worked as a bouncer. And I thought, you know what? I've had to fight people. I've had to do that job. But he taught me the lesson of even when you have to do that, be nice. You can throw someone out on their ear and be nice. In the church, we can work with each other. And we can help each other grow through some really tough times. But in the process of doing that, we better be nice. When we go out into the world, we're going to bump into all kinds of sin, all kinds of trouble that we're going to have to minister to. But we better be nice. Because that's what God wants. He wants us to be nice. He wants us to be holy, but he wants us to do it in love. And that is being nice. Jesus, when you see him in the scriptures and the gospel, for the most part, he is nice. James 1, 19 through 21 says this. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry. Tony, listen to this. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Tony, I hope you heard that. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Tony, your minister needs to hear that just as much as the rest of you. We need to be slow to speak. We need to pray before we speak. We need to study and meditate on God's word before we speak. We need to prepare to be like Jesus before we speak. And then once we're prepared, we speak. James 1, through 25 says this. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives what church that gives freedom and continues in it, 
not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it. You want to be free? Then start serving God. You want to be free? Passionately represent Christ. They will be blessed in what they do. John eight thirty two says these words. We'll go through for the time, the sake of time. Jesus answers to the Jews in this. He says to the Jews who had believed him. Jesus said, if you hold on to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. The principles of freedom that we live by in this country are built upon a foundation that was purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. We were freed from sin before we were freed to enjoy the freedoms this country has to offer. And so tomorrow as we celebrate and in the days to come as we celebrate, as we celebrate our freedom throughout the year. Our freedom of speech. Our freedom of action and our freedom of deed. You know, the three biggest things I see as as a country talking about right now is our freedom of speech, our freedom of sexuality, and our freedom and our freedom to bear arms. And these are important freedoms. If they weren't important, they wouldn't have been built into who we are. But as we exercise those freedoms, I want us to step back and prayerfully exercise those freedoms. Prayerfully and in a studied manner of the scriptures of Jesus Christ and the life of Jesus, live out those freedoms. Not just haphazardly, not allowing the culture to guide us through that, allow the spirit to guide us through that. There'll be times when we'll find ourselves convicted, maybe even troubled by our behavior. And in that moment, let's let God in a loving way. Refocus us. Redirect us. You know, the greatest thing I love about camp is for one solid week, we take these teenagers away and we break them away from their world. We even take their cell phones away. You've got to see in the first day, they're all walking around like this. But by day two, the shaking becomes but a shudder. And by day three, the tears start flowing in many of their lives because they realize in that moment how separate they are. From God's true desire. I wish we had a camp for adults. Because there's a need. I know that uh, the desire most of the time for the church is the preacher to step into the pulpit and give the most positive sermons there is. And the positivity to this sermon this morning is this. We have freedom that was purchased by God that has been preserved by men and women who have fought with their blood and their life to preserve it. And all I'm saying to us this morning, brothers and sisters in Christ, is as a church, let us not abuse that freedom. But let's embrace it. And let's use it to build the kingdom of God on earth. Join me. Join me in conviction. Join me in transformation. It wouldn't just be you transforming. It's me transforming as well. On a daily basis, God is working in my life and I want him to work in yours. Join me on that journey. Don't allow another day to go by that you are not connected to God as deeply as he desires and in what you've been seeking.
Please, church, please, families, friends, community, come forward as we stand and sing. If there is any need in this place that God needs to address, this is your moment. This is your moment.